Hello and welcome to the Data Cafe. I'm Jason. And I'm Jeremy. And today we're talking about optimizing the future. Oh, wow. Okay, so what does optimizing the future mean exactly, Jeremy? So this is a really nice uh, idea that I, I think fits in very beautifully with uh, data science as a discipline in general. And it really comes from where the, the topic of optimization, and by optimization here, we're really talking about mathematical optimization, where that discipline's come from. So optimization in you know years gone by used to be something where a scientist would go into a company and say, well, I think um, I can see that if we did your process slightly differently, if we optimized it, we could get something that was brilliant and better. And and it really sort of pivoted off this sort of notion that uh, you could display this marvelous hindsight on, on an industrial process, maybe, and you you could produce a a, a result that was a massive improvement, got twenty percent saving on time taken to do a process that you're looking at, and then that that would be applicable to all of the stuff that was going to happen in the future. So broadly, you know, yesterday's plan would be applicable today or tomorrow without with very little change, and so it would make sense to to come up with an optimization that would. Uh, work yesterday and will still work tomorrow. Okay, so you've painted a picture there that there is an optimal way for a process to run and we're looking at how it's been running so far and then searching for an optimal way to run it again in the future. Exactly. What's really important about this is that the future, and certainly we see this in data science and in the data science projects that we execute, the future is not necessarily the same as the past. And, and I think, you know, if, if there is one message to take from today's episode, it's it's pretty much that, is that you can't assume that just because you've seen a set of data yesterday or last month or last year, that is going to be exactly what you see tomorrow or next week or next month or next year. And so as a result of that, you've got to somehow take this into account when you're producing your optimization or your new efficient model or process for the following day or whatever future um, epoch you're looking at. And that efficiency, um, it occurred to me when we were looking into this topic that we kind of alluded to it when we had a previous episode about vehicle routing and the problem there. And we were looking at all the different routes that a vehicle or a logistics kind of hub would send their vehicles out on. Mm. But then there's a pre-step to that, right? Where all of the vehicles have to agree when they're going out, I guess. There's a schedule and that schedule has to work to the constraints that may be fed by the routes that they've got. So if I'm going out on a long route, I want to go out early and maybe that's a constraint. And so in a very inefficient process, there's something delaying me. I'm not getting out early. I can't do my long route on time, for example. So you'd look at that and say, right, well, let's pull together all those constraints and figure out what's the optimal version here. These kind of examples are really interesting. You can draw the parallels, I guess, across a lot of processes. I think I think so. I, th- I think the the vehicle routing example is a really good one because there you've got this setup 
where you're trying to come up with a an optimal sequence for how you drop parcels or fridges or whatever it is that you're trying to deliver to a set of locations, it's absolutely standard to go, here are the set of locations. Here are the constraints that I am giving you and you have to look through all of the possible combinations of the problem so that you can find a, a really good or an optimal solution which says you should visit these customers in this order with this set of vehicles. And if you do that, you know, you get the potentially get a fantastic result. But here's the problem. I don't know necessarily which customers are going to require deliveries tomorrow. Okay. Or maybe I do tomorrow, but I don't know next week. So if I'm trying to make a really good plan, I need to somehow factor in that uncertainty, that lack of knowledge into my optimization assessment or my benchmarking of my optimization so that I can come up with a reasonable look ahead to the future, which says, in the future, this is a good set of customers that will probably be the set of customers that is typical of a Monday delivery pattern or a Tuesday delivery pattern or a a November delivery pattern or whatever it is. It's really interesting because the way that you set it up is sounding like you're laying out different versions of the future. You're laying out ways to decide, well, what do I know and what version of the future can I work towards? What is the optimal that's attainable? So you're almost searching for that version that, you know, the efficiencies are worth it, as opposed to something that's a hard prediction, you know, that is a given that it's going to happen. You're adjusting your future based on what you know and what you can learn from the previous behavior and the constraints that are fed to you, essentially. And the example that you gave there of dropping off fridges, like even today, I was talking to some friends about the demand for white goods. And I think it's off the back of the lockdown that people are stocking up on like freezers because they're buying in bulk and putting all of their stuff into the freezers. So that's a whole new demand that wasn't there a year ago that's now cropped up. Um, Your model's got to change. The futures that you want to model off the back of that are different and feed different decisions. Absolutely. And if you're delivering fridges, right? I mean, you've got a whole whole set of horrible constraints there. These are heavy. They probably need two or three people to carry them up into a customer's house. Uh, if you, yeah. you know, you need to know if you're delivering it to a block of flats, <laughs> you need to you need to have a good idea of how many blocks of flats you're delivering those yeah. to, because that's adding 15, 20 minutes probably for each each delivery. Uh, and if you get that wrong, then you're going to be running very late, and you're not going to be coming up with anything remotely optimal. So yeah, it's entirely relevant to to, to that. We had a nice way of setting this up too that comes up often and the idea of Mm. whether we're looking at descriptive, predictive or prescriptive modelling. Did you want to lay that out a bit? I always think it's a really nice way to describe it. I agree. I think this doesn't just introduce the the notion of these different styles of, of data science, but what it, I think, importantly does is show that they both feed off each other and, and link together. So I mean, classically, you'll hear this in a lot of sort of data science texts, you'll have three types of 
project from a from a data science perspective. So you, you hear people talk about descriptive models, predictive models, and prescriptive models. So what are they? So, so descriptive models are briefly what has happened. So can I look at the data I have and just analyze what happened in the past in my operation, in my customer sales, whatever yeah. it is that you've been asked to look at and, and evaluate those past behaviors. And we do that in our science class all the time, right? We run an experiment and we look at the data afterwards and try to evaluate, right. well, what did our experiment show? Yes, exactly. What, 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 what's happened? And then there's the predictive. So that's sort of taking it to the next level, if you like, which is says, well, I, I'm, it's nice to know what happened, but actually what I'm really interested in is what's going to happen. I'm going to do some time series analysis or some regression modeling, and I'm going to come up with some kind of view on how many things I'm going to sell or how many customers or which customers I'm going to sell to in the future on you know a week on Friday. Yeah, and we run our experiment again, but the result is different. Isn't that right? You're going to get that variance being introduced. The unknowns around the prediction come from precisely. Yeah. So there's a absolutely there's a level of uncertainty here about that because it's the future. You know, we're, we're not. You know, this this fits very nicely into a mantra I use usually two or three times a week, which is data science is not magic. Okay, so so data science is is about coming up with good quality, scientifically driven techniques, which give you a handle on representing quite quite tricky problems. And in this case, you know, how I can represent or predict the future when it comes to, uh, you know, sales figures or something like that. But of course, because inevitably there's a deal of a deal of uncertainty a deal of noise in that prediction in, in any prediction there would be whether it's the whether it's predicting the u.s presidential election or whether it's predicting the weather of course you can't know you can only come up with uh, your best guess and found that guess in in some good quality techniques yeah. even with the weather i always find it kind of funny when we're told there is a 10% chance of rain and I'm thinking well I can't bring 10% of my umbrella out so what am I supposed to do with this information <laughs> exactly yeah I was I was busy swearing at the weather forecasters yesterday where I'd taken my family out to to a, for, for a nice walk and it was supposed to be beautifully dry and sunny and we arrived and it was absolutely pouring with rain but then you know kudos to them 10 minutes later it stopped and the sun did come out so yeah maybe that was just that was super forecasting yeah and actually that leads nicely into the idea of the prescriptive part because you will take that information forward and you will lay out well what are the kind of limiting factors when i plan my next day out and even at that simple level you make a decision between well have i got room to bring all the things i need to cater for the likelihood of different weather conditions so even just in my hand do i carry my umbrella and you know just at that simple level you start off with a couple of constraints and this is where when we start to look at it algorithmically it's going to get very difficult very quickly because the simple level is already going to be a challenge to even conceive of mathematically and program and then run on a computer which I, I think we'll get to later on but just to tie it up with that prescriptive element where you have some insight to the future but you want to prescribe off the back of that and make a decision off the back of that critically the decision is is the key in that scenario you know can i make an optimal decision that will be appropriate to the 
future scenario that I'm hoping to anticipate, if you like. So if I've if I've predicted something from my predictive uh, data science, can I use that information to then make a a decision, a prescriptive uh, outcome that will make sense and give me access to the efficiency I potentially could have got were I to be looking at yesterday's schedule and going, or yesterday's forecast and go, well, had I known it was going to rain at uh, 10 past 11, then I wouldn't have left the house until half past 10 and so on. You know, you can never get as good as looking to the past and going, I could always do that. I could always get a really fantastic Mm. optimal uh, schedule based on what I knew happened in the future. Hindsight is 2020. Right, exactly. It's all about the 2020 (laughs) hindsight and, and... um you know it gets basically it does get people very very annoyed i think especially if you talk to operational experts in this area and and say well gosh you could have done this so much better it's like yeah yeah but i didn't know it's obvious (laughs) afterwards yeah you can explain it when you've seen it happen (laughs) right right yeah how was i supposed to know that that my van broke down and three of my customers were out and therefore I had to I had to leave the fridge around the back or something <laughs> yeah. so yeah so all of these concepts are so challenging mathematically and we've specialists working on this and you interviewed with Demetrius Letzios a lecturer in data science at King's College London do you want to tell us about what that interview entailed yeah so Demetrius had been working on a really interesting problem of looking at van schedules and how vans were being used in a postal delivery setting. In particular, looking at whether they could be used more efficiently by aggregating the jobs that they were being sent on, so that the routes they were being sent on, in in a way which allows um, uh, allows the operation to use fewer vehicles. So, you know, if I have a duty, which would be what the company would refer to it as that runs from nine till ten and another duty that was being sent out on another van maybe leaving at nine thirty and coming back at ten thirty maybe i could take that second duty and put it on the first van just to have it start half an hour later so so he was looking at you know how could we rearrange the schedule of these duties on these vans and then you know use fewer vehicles which is great because that means less maintenance less wear and tear on the vehicles and ultimately hopefully an easier operation yeah and the environmental emissions target comes into it too completely okay so let's hear what uh, Demetrius had to say So I'm joined by uh, Dimitris Letzios, who's a lecturer in data science at King's College London. And we had a really fantastic time talking about optimization today as he's applied to some uh, interesting problems in, in van scheduling. And what I wanted to ask you, Dimitris, is in, in data science, we use optimization a, a lot, optimization techniques a lot, but we find that um, there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of perturbation and change in the, in, in the data that we we're trying to parameterize or feed into our optimization model. So, how how have you been able to sort of cope with cope with that? So, I guess there are, there are a couple of major approaches for dealing uh, with optimization under uncertainty. When there is error, there is the stochastic optimization. 
approach uh, which assumes that the parameters of an optimization problems are unknown but they follow some probability distribution right but here in this talk today we focus more on the robust optimization side where the parameters um, of an optimization problem are restricted to be in a well-defined uncertainty set Mm. and so now we're dealing um, with the problem of finding a solution which is good not for one instance but for every possible instance in the uncertainty sets and we want to minimize the worst case realization because I mean, typically you, you, you'd in a traditional optimization model you'd feed in a value so the, the, prob- the problem you were looking at today was one of how to schedule van departures from particular operational locations uh, given that you knew that the duty length was, say, two and a half hours long, but and that's what you'd feed in. You'd say you'd feed in two and a half hours, and then a, a set of other lengths for the other vehicles. But but in reality, it might be two hours. It might be two hours forty five minutes. It might be three <laughs> hours. So we we just don't know. Yeah, exactly. That's correct. But uh, we need we 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 have usually an estimation, and we have you know some bounds uh, of where the true value is located right and, and that's what was what is about uh, like um, optimization under uncertainty from a deterministic viewpoint finding a good solution for any possible realization yeah and that's what we, we did in the context of event scheduling yeah. so one of the uh, approaches that seemed to be taken was where you, you look at the level of time the amount of time that you'd be putting onto your vehicles and you'd say well let's assume it's a wet day let's assume uh, that that there's some disruption maybe which means that this these duties that we're putting onto the vehicles take a little longer so we can add a factor maybe a multiplicative factor to the the length of the duties and then see if our schedule looks similar after optimization because if it doesn't that's 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 problematic isn't it yeah, that's yeah, that's that's correct. So basically, we want to compute a solution after uncertainty, after we know the uncertainty, the true values. Yes, uh, which is uh, reasonably good. There is this perturbation factor indeed, uh, which indicates like the levels of the uncertainty that we should expect. Yeah, and the question is that once you have this information, maybe once you know you have an idea of what perturbation you will receive because nobody can avoid perturbation the question is how you can construct a solution which is robust which will not fail when uh, uncertainty is realized yeah and that's what this work was about how to an approach for constructing robust schedules yeah based on lexicographic optimization okay so i mean and, and the idea is if 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 you had a small change in whatever you were inputting into your optimization model and it had caused the 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 output to completely disappear in terms of the goodness of the solution if you lost all of that goodness just because there was a tiny tiny change in the in the optimization input then that would be that would be quite difficult to realize in practice if we were trying to suggest 
uh, a new schedule uh, to to an operation. But the constraint that we gave them was you have to do it. It has to be exactly as um, prescribed. It has to be the, the lengths of time that you spend doing these jobs have to be exactly as as given. That's that's not likely to happen, is it? So 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 there's a real problem with with something which it wouldn't be robust. Yeah, exactly. So in in such a case, we need to tolerate some level of flexibility. Right. Yeah, and. And yeah, we may kind of use potentially recovery approaches or something uh, along these lines. Yes. And then towards the end of the talk, you you gave us there was a very interesting slide. You 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 talked about the vision that you had for optimization in in, in a data science environment. And um, maybe you'd like to say a few words about that. How how you see this as a, an important general approach for for optimization techniques dealing with data heavy applications yeah so i find like this viewpoint uh, quite interesting that's what uh, we had i adopt in the end so data science is about making predictions and understanding the data and so on right optimization is about making optimal decisions and Partially, uh, optimization is very frequently used in data science anyway for building these models. But <clears throat> another question that is posed is that once a nice predictive model has been produced and it has an output, how we can explore you know, these predictive models together with optimization for generating optimal decisions. That, that's the challenge. And the output of a data science model can be different things. It can be uh, some uh, regression tree that you can potentially embed in an optimization problem, or it can be an estimated value of a parameter of an optimization yeah. problem with a certain degree of uncertainty, mm. and we have an uncertainty set. Yeah, and this is quite the, yeah, the general setting and different ways to view it. I, I like this view a lot, and 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 I like it because it it speaks towards what you're going to use your output for. It speaks towards the decision, the context in which the optimization and the data science sit, and 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 the fact that you're you're focusing on. I want something that's going to be not just not just good for what you've done, not just sort of given the perfect knowledge of what happened, this is how you could have done it optimally. But more, more importantly, much more importantly, allows you to look, to look to the future and say, this is what you could do in a, in a predictive scenario. Yeah, yeah, well, I think we agree, right? So that's the line of, of, uh, of thinking. <laughs> yeah, so basically, predictive models should also would be, it would be nice if they would also be used to better inform decisions and if they're come about the future about you know things like efficient resource allocation and if they are combined uh, with mathematical optimization approaches then it seems like they're going to be very nice and influential outputs yeah Dimitris, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much, Jeremy, for uh, hosting here today and for your time. That's really interesting, where especially some of the context around it, that it occurred to me we have an element of randomness, right, to configure or account for. 
and Demetrius was talking about this being a stochastic process, which means that there's an element of randomness to it, mm-hmm. um, versus a deterministic viewpoint where there is no randomness. And if you know all of your initial conditions, your starting point, the deterministic view says you know every point going forward in the future. And I find this really interesting because in in our our like science learnings we come across the double pendulum and it paints the picture for me because when you swing the double pendulum it carves out a certain like way of sweeping through the air and then it looks chaotic in how it behaves and if you start it again it will sweep out a completely different chaotic way of swinging about the place it's one pendulum hanging from the other they interact and the physics causes a different pattern every single time you swing it. Mm. And the only way to account for the fact that the, sim- the simulation of it from the same initial starting point would be the same because all the physics is accounted for. But in the real world, there's so much that's not accounted for, you know, right down to the molecules of air that it's moving through yeah. that you cannot account for. So it appears random. It looks random, or at least the randomness that we put on it as a human observer is what we call chaotic. But it's only chaotic because the initial starting condition has been different in some way that we cannot account for. No, I, I think it's important to realise where the randomness that Demetrius is alluding to can can come from, and it can come from many sources, but it, it doesn't mean it can be completely arbitrary. I think we should say that you know it doesn't mean it could be anything. It might be, it might be ten milliseconds before um, before I arrive at my next destination, or it might be four and a half hours. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't. It, it, what it means is there is some uncertainty, and that uncertainty can have a model attributed to it. It can have a distribution. It can be. But it does mean there is some uncertainty. So where does that uncertainty come from? You've hit the nail on the head. It's It can be stuff that is inherently uncertain, as you say, almost down to the air molecules moving around. Or I, I think, you know, in the problem he was looking at, there was good uncertainty in the length of these duties that he was capturing. Uh, and, you know, how long it was going to take was going to have dramatic impact on whether he could create an efficient schedule for these vans, and what might impact the uh, length of duty? Well, the weather might impact the length of the duty. We've already talked about how uncertain that is, and that, I think, in many levels is inherently uncertain. But also things like the traffic patterns on the road. You know, you might you might just make that red light on uh, on Monday, and on Tuesday, you might not make that red light, and then it's it's a it's a really awful light, and you're stuck there for three or four minutes, and that three or four minutes pushes you into a different modality of traffic or something. You know that sensitive dependence almost on the initial conditions, which uh, you alluded to, can, can indeed come into play with 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 uncertainties around traffic patterns and and that kind of thing. So there's so you might introduce randomness because of that, and then you might just introduce randomness because you just don't know quite enough about the problem you think well it might take half an hour but it might take 40 minutes and i i, I haven't got enough information to tell what the duration actually might yeah. be precisely so i'm just going to i'm just going to put in a little bit of uncertainty to, to cover my back almost mm. we see this in project management you know you've got to put in some probabilistic estimate on your time to account for parts of a project 
And a lot of the parallels that I would even draw to project management come down to the critical path method, which is to look at the kind of dependent tasks. And if there's dependencies, they have to follow sequentially. And then there's other tasks that can be run in parallel. And if you can parallelize some of it, it's the ones that are dependent that form the critical path that you can't run your project for a shorter time then. And you're going to try to find the optimal way of orienting the tasks, the activities in your project to make the critical path be as short as possible. But there is a shortest possible one. And you have constraints and you have those probabilistic estimates all at play. Yeah. And it's particularly hard in that scenario where your critical path looks beautifully clear until some uncertainty creeps in and one of your key tasks takes a lot longer or maybe even shorter uh, amount of time than you anticipated. And then suddenly another element of your project drops onto the critical path unexpectedly. So that's, I think, a very nice analogy to the vehicle routing or logistics example. So what do you think is the kind of cutting edge with this or some of the algorithmic approaches we should consider? I think one thing I'd quite like to say is why this is so important in a a data science and actually in a machine learning context. You know, machine learning is a a hugely important part of, of the data science toolkit. And any data scientist who's engaged with any of the sort of standard algorithms will know that almost all of them, whether it's a sort of regression, whether it's a deep learning neural network, whether it's a a random forest or an NLP technique, almost all of them will start with minimize the error on the following. But that minimize statement is a real clue because that's an optimization. And in fact, you look at a lot of computational statistics and you know, change point analysis is all about minimising the error given a set of suggested change points that we talked about in a previous episode. Yeah, shout out to our episode in that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, so we, you, know, you see this optimization as an approach creeping in all over the place. It's in machine learning and in statistics and therefore in data science. So understanding how you can deal with uncertainty in your data and how you can incorporate uncertainty that is maybe coming from forecasts of of your inputs, forecasts of your parameters for your techniques is so important. It is not different from or set aside from uh, machine learning and data science at all. It is absolutely central to it. So I I think understanding the the joined at the hip connection between these um, approaches is part of the cutting edge, actually, because I don't think enough relevance, if you like, has been attributed to these approaches. And Demetrius actually talks about how we can bring machine learning and optimization together. And one of the ways that they are so closely tied together and how improvements in one will hugely benefit improvements of the other is in this idea that uh, machine learning is is a, is a form of optimization from the start. You asked about cutting edge and yeah, the uncertainty then is, is where, how can we deal with uncertainty in the model? And sometimes there are parameters in your model or elements that you want to input into your optimization algorithm, which are random and they have a known distribution. So you can put in that distribution as part of the input. You can say the amount of time it's going to take for 
this van to travel from Hackney to Islington is 10 minutes, except it can take 15 minutes on the outside. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to say it's normally distributed with a mean of 12 and a half, three, something like that. And and that would work. And But you do need quite sophisticated approaches to then deal with those stochastic distributions as they sort of trickle through the model and get analysed as part of the optimization. And then the approach that Demetrius was using on his problem was one where he was looking at more deterministic scenarios where he's saying, well, let's assume that the amount of time is, although it could take 10 minutes, we're going to assume it's going to take 13 minutes, 14 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever. We're going to assume it's essentially a conservative assumption for how long some piece of the operation is going to take. And then in taking that conservative assumption, we are going to robustify our output. So what does that mean? That means if we were to see the traffic lights do the dirty on us, if we were to see a bad weather day, if we were to see a lot of customer activity, which meant that we had to haul our fridges up three flights of stairs, then we factored some of that into our optimization model from the outset, hopefully with some data backing that up. And that allows us to come up with a still something which is optimal, but has some slack in it so that we're not going to have a an output which is unattainable, which is looks beautifully efficient on the surface, but is not robust to these perturbations, to these things that can go wrong, essentially. The unknown unknowns, as I refer to them in a lot of my projects. How can I get benefit from this? So I think the important takeaway from, from this is that when optimization or machine learning, but data science in general focuses on the decision that's going to be taken as a result of the output from the data science tool, whether it's an optimization output or a machine learned output or whatever, then you really see the benefit. And and, and if if you don't focus on the decision, then you you lose that that connection. And if you lose that connection with what decision is going to be taken the fact that I'm dispatching people, dispatching content, whatever it is, if you don't get that link to the decision, then you also lose the absolute most important thing, which is you lose the connection to the impact that you're trying to achieve. So understanding the connection from the descriptive through the predictive to the prescriptive and connecting that to the decision which whoever it is is going to be using your data science tool is going to take and understanding the impact, what can go wrong with that impact and what can go right and how to really maximise that going right is is the the end goal here. And it's what Demetrius has really beautifully elucidated in his in his interview. Cool. That's re- it's really interesting, Jeremy. I think if anything from going over all of this in this episode, I see in the future us delving into that machine learning embedded in optimization techniques. I'd love to do that. I think there's so much for the two approaches to learn and to benefit from each other. And I think that would be a really exciting episode to do. Yeah, it's all really nice mathematically, but I still don't know whether I have to bring my umbrella tomorrow or not. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Frankly, nor do I. (laughs) Thanks very much, Jeremy. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for joining us today at the Data Cafe. 
You can like and review this on iTunes or your preferred podcast provider. Or if you'd like to get in touch, you can email us, jason at datacafe.uk or jeremy at datacafe.uk or on Twitter at datacafepodcast. We'd love to hear your suggestions for future episodes.